Hello, my friends. This is the podcast that brings a wealth of knowledge, expertise, and fun of Twins Smoke Shop, New England's premier smoke shop, right to you, wherever you are, whenever you want it. And that's Not Just Blowing Smoke. You can find us at our website, notjustblowingsmoke.com, and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Not Just Blowing Smoke. practice the setup once again before we start the show. Thanks for hanging in there, everybody. Assuming everybody is still hanging in there. Uh, it is finally time for Not Just Blowing Smoke. Coming at you live from Twin Smoke Shop Studio Headquarters in Hooksett, New Hampshire. Be sure to subscribe to us here on YouTube. And if you're watching the audio version of this, or listening to the audio version, rather, uh, later on on Podbean, iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever you get your podcast from, be sure to subscribe to us there so you don't miss a thing. I'm Pastor Padron, I'm with my co-hosts Pat and Paul. Dave is off tonight, he's recovering at home, and we wish him a speedy recovery. Tonight's a special episode with Dave gone for a number of reasons. Dave is probably laughing at me right now, but uh, frankly, I don't care. Uh, you will notice that we have the humbler setup, and um, uh, that's because Dave usually does the, the setup here, uh, and he's not with us tonight. But uh, we're going to have a good time. We're going to be discussing the court's rulings on the uh, use of warning labels on cigars and what their decisions uh, mean for the cigar industry, positive and maybe negative. Um, that should be a real interesting discussion. We're going to be smoking the Undercrown Lonsdale, the, the Undercrown 10 Lonsdale Cigar. It is the 10th anniversary this year of Undercrown Cigars from Brewer States. And the Lonsdale it features a San Andreas wrapper, a Connecticut broadleaf binder, and Nicaraguan filler, and it's 6 by 46 And we are pairing with it the Founders Breakfast Stout, Used to be a uh, seasonal thing, now it's a year-long thing, right? That's correct, yes. And it's one of my favorite stouts. If you're a coffee lover uh, and you love beer, you will absolutely love this beer. Uh, it's made with two types of uh, coffee, both Sumatra and Kona. Um, bitter and imported chocolates and plated oats. Coming in at 8.3%, super smooth, coffee forward, just phenomenal. That's awesome. So, Pat, you want to set up this conversation that we're going to have tonight? Yeah, for the third time. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it, Pat. So the briefs essentially talking about the FDA's deeming rule and how they selected to kind of put all tobacco in the same um, regulations, which impose you know warning labels and other statutory regulations to premium cigars. So, just jumping right into it, it's, it was Cigar Association of America versus the U.S. Um, Food and Drug Administration, and it was from volume 436 of the Federal Supplement, 3rd District, page 70. 
So the overarching facts for the case was these um, different cigar merchant associations, cigar manufacturers, and cigar retailers, now known as the Cigar Association, brought action against the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, and its commissioner, and the Department of Health and Human Services, now known as HHS, and its secretary, challenging the FDA deeming rule, which subjected premium cigars to health warning labels regime for packaging and advertisements as violation of the Administrative Procedure Act, now known as the APA. So both sides move for summary judgment. So essentially that's a preliminary request to the court to kind of motion and, and give a final verdict based on the material facts, not bringing any dispute that's to a tribal level. So in this case, there's a statute, the APA, that says in black and white, this is what you can and can't do. So they motion for their facts to be applied to that statute so the judge can just go and just hit the gavel and say this is or isn't okay. So on April 25th of 2014, the FDA issued a proposed rule announcing its intent to deem cigars and certain other tobacco products subject to the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act amended by the Tobacco Control Act, which is the TCA. Deeming cigars meant that the FDA would subject them to a statutory and regulatory requirement comparable with requirements already imposed under the TCA against cigarettes, well, you want tobacco, cigarette tobacco, etc. And then under the proposed rule, there would be two alternatives. So option one would make all categories of cigar products subject to the TCA. And then option two, the FDA would regulate only a subset of the, um, cigars from the scope of the rule, meaning that premium cigars would be excluded from the warning label requirements. So different cigar industry groups submitted comments. So after a statute is proposed, there's a comment period. So if you're an association or someone that has questions regarding the, um, the statute, you can send in comments and then they have to answer them. If there's any issues, conflicts, they have to, the FDA has to answer those questions to you. So cigar groups submitting um, comments and ob uh, objections to the regula regulation of premium cigars since they do not impose the same public health concerns as mass market cigars and other tobacco products because premium cigar consumers are only occasional users of the product and use the product differently. So they argued that studies show that premium cigar users have a far lower disease and mortality rate than consumers of cigarettes and other tobacco products and because of the difference in use, the same health warning regime proposed for mass market cigars and other tobacco products was not warranted for premium cigars. So the FDA then rejected this argument, including its final rule that no evidence put forward during the notice and comment period supported exempting premium cigars from regulation. And then accordingly, the FDA's final rule known as the deeming rule selected option one, deeming all cigars, including premium cigars, to be subject to the TCA and impose health warning requirements on all cigar products. So then the Cigar Association brought this action on January 2018, challenging the Demon Rules warning regime for premium cigars on three primary accounts. One is that the warning label regime infringes on plaintiffs, which is the Cigar Association's First Amendment rights. Second, how does it do that? How does it infringe on So that? I'll get to that. So basically, there was nine counts in total, but the case only touched on three counts, and count okay. one and three failed. So the only count that's relevant is the second one, which is the FDA imposed a new, the new warning label regime in violation of the Administrative Procedural Act. And then the third count that also that failed with the first count was the proclamation of the deeming rule violated the appointments clause. So 
Count one and three failed among the other counts. So count two is what they looked at for summary judgment. So now that's, that's kind of the overarching fact basis. So I'm going to dig in things a little bit deeper. So does anyone have any questions or concerns from what they've heard so far? I don't really have any questions, but you know, we should talk a little bit about these fumans. Yes. Now, uh, unlike the other sizes of the Drew Estate uh, Underground 10 that have been released, the Lonsdale comes with a series of what are called fumars. And a fumar is just a wrapped up leaf of cigar, a, a, a wrapped up cigar leaf, excuse me. Uh, the evening has flustered me, obviously. I will try and regain my normally smooth composure. Um, and basically, it's just a single kind of tobacco. So, and the idea is that you smoke the fumar to get an idea of what a particular kind of tobacco tastes like. And then, you know, as you're blending the cigar, you'll smoke different ones, say, hey, I think this would go with that. Let's try it out. And so what they've done with the uh, Lonsdale in the uh, Underground 10 release is included fumars of the wrapper, binder, and filler. We have the... Uh, Binder and filler fumars with us tonight. The uh, binder is the blue label, which is the Connecticut broadleaf. The Nicaraguan tobaccos that are in the filler are in this one here. And uh, so we're going to be smoking those alongside the cigar too. Um, I think we all thought that it was a really cool idea that Drew Estate wanted to do that with this. Um, although it does raise the price of the Lonsdale significantly, we think that it would be less than the Toro. Uh, at about the same price as the Robusto, but uh, nope, it's two bucks more. And uh, but we can talk about we can talk about that uh, later on. How do we think the pairing is going too? Oh, the pairing is going very very well. So with the cigar, I got a lot of earthy cocoa, leather, and pepper initially, mm -hmm. um, but a blast of spice on the retrohale. Wow, it was really mm -hmm. really good. Nice and toothy too. Um, the, with the Founders Breakfast Stout. It is pulling a little bit more of sweetness for me, mm -hmm. uh, a little bit more of a sweet spice to be uh, to be exact, but um, and it's maybe it's toning down the the leather pepper notes. Um, it's kind of changing up the uh, the cigar for me a little bit more. So it's actually bringing out a lot more of that uh, earthy spice uh, spice and sweetness. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it's doing really really well with it. What do you think, Pat? Yeah. So. Uh, when I chose the pairing, I, I thought of some kind of getting like kind of a chocolatey, malty type beverage. So this, Paul and I kind of put our heads together and the breakfast out, I thought just was naturally going to be a good option because the, yeah, the Lonsdale, it's kind of like the, in the Coraline Undercrowns, like the, the Corona uses that double Lajero filler blend and it kind of makes it a more fuller body experience. So I smoked this when, I, when we first got it at Twins, I think it was, what, three or four days ago? Yeah. And this cigar for me kind of did that with the Underground Tens. It has a little bit more body to it. So since it has like that nice, deep cocoa, earthy, some leather notes and that pepper, and it has like this nice natural sweetness, mm. I thought that it would just naturally go well with a drink like this, and I think it really has. It's oh, like yeah, a nice totally. complimentary pairing. Yeah. I'm getting like a nice sweet coat on the palate that's kind of, marrying that earthy and leathery notes and then the coffee kind of goes to the finish and i get like this nice sweet cocoa espresso finish and yeah i think the pairing's really and it's holding up too with the cigar like it's oh, yeah. mm -hmm. it's not overpowering the cigar because the cigar's enough body to kind of back it up but and the drink's not 
overshadowing it by any means. So no, I, I definitely think the stout is making the cigar a little bit sweeter. It is bringing yeah. out some more rich cocoa notes in the cigar, bringing out uh, a lot of that cocoa that you can get from both the San Andreas and the uh, Broadleaf, mm -hmm. and I'm enjoying that very, very much. All right, so back to your discussion. We've gone over the facts. Yep. And uh, now you're going to get into the what? The, the deeming rule. The now. deeming rule. Yeah. So let's go into that. Yeah, so briefly explain what the deeming rule even is. Mm -hmm. So in 2009, Congress enacted the TCA to empower the FDA to regulate and set national standards regarding all elements of tobacco products. And they kind of acknowledge the inherent dangerous causation of tobacco products and the strong public interest in regulating tobacco products with their advertisements and promotion. And at the time of 2009, I mean, you can kind of say cigarette companies were kind of targeting the youth a little bit, at least in the 90s. Like, there's a history of, you know, like cigarette companies saying that, you know, it's, it's not bad for you. There's been numerous lawsuits. Yeah. So that was kind of what their backing was, which going further in the case, you're going to kind of see how that's inappropriate for premium cigars, but we'll touch on that a little bit later. So um, Congress then recognized that there was no other federal agency at their disposal except the FDA that had the scientific expertise needed to implement all the provisions of that TCA Act. And then the TCA then authorized the Secretary of the HSS to regulate all things tobacco related. And this legislation subjected all cigarettes, cigarette tobacco, rolling on tobacco, and smokeless tobacco, a bunch of different statutory regulations. But then it also reserved, uh, reserved future application of the TCA to any other tobacco products that the Secretary of the HHS by regulation deems to be subject to this chapter. So that's the deeming rule. So it basically has a clause that opens it up to any other tobacco product that they see in the future they could deem it into that legislation, then imposing those regulations on whatever they deem fit. So the deeming rule is basically a way of saying they can deem something to apply to this oversight. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the HHS has the authority to do so. All right. So, and this is interesting because, you know, of course, all this really kind of coalesced in 2016, and this yep. was starting 2009, 2014, mm -hmm. way before all this stuff has uh, actually hit the fan. All right, so that's what the deeming rule is. Yep. What, uh, what happened after that? So then just like a regulatory background on the deeming rule is premium cigars were free from the FDA regulations since they were not listed under the Act's tobacco product definition. And then in, on April 25th of 2014, which going back to the previous podcast, we talked about mm -hmm. who was in charge of the FDA at the time during the Obama administration, the FDA issued the proposed rule that would deem cigars, pipe tobacco, and e-cigarettes subject to the TCA. So then the FDA suggested the following definition for a covered cigar to exclude cigars from regulation, which if you remember our first brief podcast, we touched on the premium tobacco definition. Mm -hmm. So I'll go through that one more time. So any cigar as defined in this part, except a cigar that one is wrapped in whole tobacco leaf, two contains a 100% leaf tobacco binder, Three contains primarily long filler tobacco. Four is made of combining manually the wrapper, filler, and binder. 
Five has no filter tip or non-tobacco mouthpiece and is capped by hand. Six has a retail price. Any after any discounts <laughs> of no less than ten dollar per cigar, adjusted as necessary every two years, effective July first, to account for any increase in the price of tobacco products since the last price adjustment. And seven does not have a characterizing flavor other than tobacco. And eight weighs more than six pounds per 1,000 units. So this definition is a little bit different. It kind of brings in the retail standpoint than the one that we proposed. So they, they define a retail cigar, a, a premium cigar, as having a minimum retail cost of $10? Yeah. What does that do to cigars that are under $10? Are they no longer considered so they premium, be premium cigars? Yeah, so they basically put a price tag on premium. Which if you go further in the case that we'll touch on, their research kind of has like the like the populace of teenagers that smoked tobacco that they looked at the price of the cigar was mentioned numerous times so i'm going to assume that's probably what made them do that mm -hmm. i don't know so yeah I just, think, I just think that's weird i mean uh take charter oak for instance mm -hmm. a great what i would consider premium hand rolled long filler cigar Full leaf, rapid binder filler, fantastic cigar. I'd hold it up against a lot of 10, 12, even $14 cigars, and they uh, top out at seven. Yep. And so what happens to that? Is it, are they not considered under regulation or are they considered super taxable because they don't have 10 bucks? They wouldn't be protected. They would not be protected. Yeah, so if they chose option two, which is what implemented that definition, it would be paired with everything else. It would have to be over $10 to be under that protective umbrella for premium cigars. So, so easily a third to almost a half of a humidor that we have would be not protected. Nope. That's bizarre. That's bizarre. All right, all right, all right. Go on. I'm interrupting you. Go on. So then... That definition was for option two, and the, the FDA kind of feared that any attempted subset of cigars from the regulatory authority would sweep other cigar products under its umbrella, so they thought that if we kind of gave them an inch, it would take a mile type thing, which, you know, whatever. So therefore, the FDA sought comments on relative merits of option one versus option two in regards to what is appropriate for public health, both benefits and consequences of adopting one option over the other. So I, I touched on the comment periods that basically when a new statute is introduced, you can just submit comments to the FDA in this case and they have to answer them. So you would put your concerns, which one do you think is better than the other for public health? And then they would answer back with any, you know, answers to whatever questions you have or concerns, or they would acknowledge your concerns, etc. So that's essentially the regulatory background of the dating rule. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then during the comment period, the Cigar Rights of America, among others, advocated for option two naturally. So they argued that premium tobacco users are different type, are different from typical tobacco users. And they actually said in research, I tried digging for it, I couldn't find it, but if it's in the case and they said it was valid, I'm assuming it was valid. Okay. So they argued, and they were well, the research that they cited supported their claim, and it concluded that the proposed warnings lack a sound evidentiary basis, which going a little bit further, further is going to conclude, that it concluded that like, uh, premium cigar users are more intelligent, 
they're older and they're more wealthy. That that was what their research concluded. So their research concluded that smokers are more intelligent and more wealthy than non-smokers. No, premium a premium cigar smokers over other tobacco products. Over other tobacco yeah. products users. Yeah. All right. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Twenty five tobacco. Premium cigar users, so, you know. So premium cigar users are more wealthy based on their definition. Than their research. Their research. Their research versus pipe, pipe tobacco smokers. They didn't specify either that just any other tobacco user. Okay, we're going to assume that they they mean pipe tobacco. Yeah, but I'm going to guess the focus was against like cigarette users and stuff like that. But yeah, but it's a broad pipe tobacco is part of. If they're going to say any tobacco, then we have to assume that pipe tobacco. Yeah. And well, all right. Yeah. So uh, any questions on any of that? No question. No. Any comments? No. So now, the final deeming rule. So on May 10th of 2016, the FDA selected the final deeming rule and adopted option one, which deemed all categories of cigars, including premium cigars, to be subject to the TCA. So now, all cigar product packages must display one of these following six health warning statements. One, warning. <coughs> cigar smoking can cause cancer of the mouth and throat even if you do not inhale. Warning two. Cigar smoking can cause lung cancer and heart disease. Warning three, cigars are not a safe alternative to cigarettes. Four, tobacco smoke increases the risk of lung cancer and heart disease even in non-smokers. Five, cigar use while pregnant can harm you and your baby. Six, the product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. So these warnings must be randomly displayed in each 12-month period and as equal as number of times as possible on each brand of cigar sold in product packaging and randomly distributed in all areas of the United States in which um, the product is marketed. So from side research I've done in the past, apparently this was a financial burden. So they had to print the labels out a certain way that to make sure that each box had different assortment of warning labels on it. Then they had to make sure they distributed those accordingly so they were randomly dispersed amongst the country and wherever else, well, in the country. So it, it was a little bit of a financial burden from the other research I've done. So that was one of the big things that was being contested. And then the DMU also specifies the placement and size of these health warnings. So each warning statement must appear directly on the package. It must be located in a conspicuous and prominent place on two principal display panels of the package, which I think commonly was the, the top and the front side. Right. Um, and then had to comprise of at least 30% of each of the principal display panels. And then for individually the individual sale of cigars, like your B&Ms, warnings must be posted um, for point of, at point of sale by a 8 by 5 by 11 inch clear, legible, and conspicuous sign. So they had to switch through the warning labels on the sign at the register. So on May 10th of 2018, it took effect. And then the FDA's explanation for option one was deeming all cigars rather than a subset more completely protects the public health interests and found that one, all cigars pose serious negative health risks. Two, the available evidence does not provide a basis for the FDA to conclude that the patterns of premium cigars use sufficiently reduces health risk to warrant exclusion. 
And lastly, the cream cigars are used by youth and young adults. So the FDA stated the most of their studies did not explicitly pertain to premium cigars, which this was what was contested during the comment period because they didn't really differentiate if someone in their studies was smoking a premium cigar or a factory cigar or just whatever tobacco product they were using. They didn't have any differentiation of that. Did they, I mean, could that have included cigarettes and stuff like so, that as well? I, I think it was, it, it could have been, but it was, yeah, so I'll get to that later, but yeah, I was just, they, they had, the populace they used were youth smokers that smoked tobacco products. Right. So that range That could mean anything. Exactly. Be a hookah. So, well, yeah, tobacco products. Yeah. So... And then they proposed the warning labels for premium cigars lack a sound scientific basis. So the FDA concluded that they had a scientific basis for the demon roll. You know, do they put warning labels on, on coffee because of the uh, dangerous caffeine that's in there that's so addictive and, and you know, uh, diuretic and you know, harmful to babies and pregnant women and all that. Well, Pat and I were talking really today with saying about the food uh, industry. Yeah. You know, specifically about the processed food, that the the TV dinners and the, the frozen mm. foods, you know, the things that people can pick up in the, in the grocery store. Margarine. Yeah. Margarine. Fat-free bread. Yeah. Fat-free ice cream. Where's the warning label for those those items? And are they in a prominent spot? They're not. There's no, there's no warning labels. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the nutrition label is buried in the back of the package and along with the ingredients. Right. Nothing nothing is in front of it. They have they have a clear marketing freedom to to be able to uh, create whatever they want to sell those products to the masses without any intrusion. Yeah. They, 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 can, they can do what they want as long as they have those nutrition labels and ingredients somewhere in the package. It's usually buried in the back, mm -hmm. you know. So I, it's... Yeah. And it's funny too because I mean I was telling Paul like when I was younger, you know, when you watch like Nickelodeon or something, they have different candy and other foods that they use, you know, like those cartoon characters to kind of promote. Mm -hmm. So that I mean that's very like openly targeting your youth audience. And yeah. Food was typically unhealthy. Captain Crunch. Yeah, like uh, Kid Cuisine. Tommy the Tiger. Those like little like Tommy Man for Frosted Kids. Flakes. Yeah, and it's you know. They're All the sugar drinks. All the, the sugar drinks, the yeah. energy drinks, all this stuff that's got, you know, taurine and sugar and whatever have you. It's, you know. I mean, look at, all that, look at what all that uh, caffeine stuff has done to Sean. I mean, he's a mess. <laughs> I don't think his heart can go less than 97,000 beats a minute. It's crazy. Then I mentioned California to Paul, like how they have warning labels on everything. Mm -hmm. Everything causes cancer. Yeah. So, the state of California. Of them, yes. Yeah. Yes. Would you say a keyboard? A keyboard? Oh yeah, I mean a keyboard could have it because of the radiation that comes off it or whatever. Yeah. It's like the most like random thing says it can cause cancer on it. You know. So we'll 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 talk about that a little bit later yeah. on. Keep 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 going. So now touching on the actual cigar association litigation. So the plaintiff was led by the Cigar Association of America, and they filed suit against the FDA, the HHS, and other representing parties of the industry. Um, so they brought suit against the FDA. 
And then the Scout Association brought a nine-count complaint challenging the DMA rule, as well as a separate rule on a number of grounds. And as we've discussed before, only one of those counts was sufficient, which is the APA. Um, so the court ruled that the health warning requirement was lawful under the First Amendment of the APA, which that's why the First Amendment was vacated. And then the Scout Association appealed, and that's where the APA was then found to be fine. So then the court actually enjoined enforcement of the warnings regime pending the outcome of the appeal. So basically, there's three kinds of injunctions the court can impose. It's a post um, a temporary restraining order, a preliminary injunction, a permanent injunction. So in this case, they permanently, uh, they temporarily enjoined the FDA from having that warning label regime since it was being contended. And then there's a five prong test to do an injunction. I'm not going to get into all that, but. Basically, since the likeness of the Cigar Association is succeeding, the court enjoined the FDA from having those requirements so they didn't have to do it during the litigation. Mm -hmm. So then that leads me into the discussion. So, um, the warning labor regime infringes on the plaintiff's First Amendment rights. I already went through all that. Um, so the issue of the case mainly was whether the imposed new warning labor regime had an insufficient connection of facts to the decision, thus violating the APA. APA being what? So that's the um. Just remind people. Yeah, the APA. I gotta find it. I gotta just yeah, so you don't even know what it means. It's the Administrative Procedure Act. Okay. So. Yeah. Um. So the APA basically says that one of the basic procedural requirements of the administrative rulemaking is that an agency must give adequate reasons for its decisions, which goes back to the common period and how they have the science to back everything up. And then Cigar Association had their own science. And then they said, you guys don't have science, we have science. And they just kind of push the thing through. Debate what's true and what's not, what's scientific, what's yeah. not. So the essential rule that was applied as an agency, therefore, must examine the relevant data and articulate a satisfactory explanation for its action, including a rational connection between the facts found and the choices made. So the agency does not need to address every comment made during the notice and comment period, but they must respond in a reasonable manner to those that raise significant problems. And then where the agency has failed to provide a reasoned explanation, or where the record believes the agency's conclusion, the court must undo its action. So then the court held yes, that it violated the APA, and the motion for summary judgment was granted, and the reasoning was the labels were ill-suited for premium cigars, and the agency failed to supply a reasoned explanation to subsidize applying health warnings for premium cigars because premium cigar consumers already appreciate the risks of regular use, in other words, they don't need educated. Yeah, I mean, whenever we bought boxes of cigars, do we ever like think we're making like a life change decision? We pick one out and smoke it. Then when you're young, I don't. I mean, life changing it may be, but not life threatening. Yeah, you know, most of the people I don't think even look at them. Let's be honest. No, I mean, it's and, and again, you know, I I, I come back to. You know, I'm much more concerned, you know, about getting too into the alcohol consumption or eating too much of too many carbs or too much chocolate. I mean, we did the Halloween was yesterday. 
My, uh, two of my girls uh, went out uh, trick-or-treating and came back with uh, pillowcases full of stuff. And of course, you know, we've established in my house the parental tithe. Got to get them ready for the government, you know. So I ended up that none of them like Snickers bars. I can't believe that. But not none of my girls like Snickers bars. So I get all the Snickers bars, which I love. But I have to control myself because I know if I eat all, I'm going to get sick. I'm not going to feel right, you know. Um, I don't see warning labels on a Snickers bar, mm -mm. you know. Is there any warning label here on the beer? I think there's a pregnancy warning here not to drink when you're pregnant. It's, yeah, it's in the back. Uh, yeah, government warning on the bottom. It's not in the front, it's in the back. It's not prominent. Let's see. I'm looking down here. Let's see. Um, yeah, government warning on the back. According to the Surgeon General, women should not drink alcoholic beverages during pregnancy because of the risk of birth defects. Uh, consumption of alcoholic beverages impairs your ability to drive or a car or operate machinery and may cause health problems. May cause health problems. Right, but you're not seeing it in the front. No. One, and it's... 30% of the front is, has nothing. And they, don't, and they don't specify what health problems. And I would, again, argue that, you know, yeah, you should probably know that if you drink a bunch of these, you should not be driving or operating heavy machinery. But I can have a cigar and not worry about that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think this is something that is much more in need of warning labels than this. I agree with that. Maybe, and I'm not saying not, but if you're going to pick and choose, I think the alcohol is the more dangerous thing. Plus, you go into it too, like if you drink a lot, you can become an alcoholic and then you need to drink. Mm -hmm. Cigarettes, you stop smoking cigarettes, you need to smoke a cigarette. Right. I don't personally know anyone, and I'm sure there's very few, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure there's very few that are people that think that they need to smoke a cigar. Yeah. On a side note, yeah. it's funny we're drinking this beer tonight. Yeah. Because about five or six years ago, the state of New Hampshire did not allow this particular bottle of beer to be sold in the state of New Hampshire. Because of the kid? Because of the kid, correct. Because of this picture of a young child eating a bowl of oatmeal. I'm assuming it's oatmeal. Yep. Um, the state of New Hampshire did not allow Founders Breakfast Stout in the bottle to be sold. Because they were, they were fearful, supposedly, that children would see this and want to drink it. Does that make any sense? I think the baby's petrified. Like, I'm not lie to you. I saw this like the first day at Twins, and I was like, what the heck is yeah, that? Yeah. It's like a nightmare. Yeah. As a matter of fact, there were two states that did not allow this, and believe it or not, the state of Michigan, from which this brewery comes from, mm -hmm. did not allow it. And as a matter of fact, they had to change the cover to allow to, I think, yeah. it was a, I think it was a note they had to put on it. They had to take the image away in order for them to. Now, to sell a person it. could make the argument here in New Hampshire that because beer is available in grocery stores, mm -hmm. underage kids could see that 
get intrigued by it and maybe think about it that way. Not all states, uh, you know, have that issue. I wonder if that was part of the part of the deal. But then, you know, because because in most liquor stores or beer stores, I know it's true in Massachusetts. You know, unless you have a very special license, you can't have beer in the store. You have to have it, so you're, it's the only place store. you can go is a liquor, is a liquor store. store. Correct. And they're not going to let some 13 or 14 year old kid go into the store. Right. Because you can lose your license, you can go to jail, there's all sorts of... Well, you can, but if you go to the grocery store and you pick up a, a, a pack of beer or whatever, or a bottle of wine, when you go to the checkout, they're going to ID you. They're going to card you. So it doesn't really matter. At that right. point, it still has control. But I think that was ridiculous, and eventually they they softened their stance and, mm-hmm. and they brought it in. It's so obviously here. here. Yeah, it's here. It's been here for the last four or five years. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. So, to support the Cigar Association offered research that supports that premium cigars have a different usage pattern than other tobacco products. Mm-hmm. And they're almost never used by youth and instead used by older, higher income, and better educated consumers. So that was the research I touched on earlier. Right. So Cigar Association further contended, one, that premium cigars present um, insufficient public health concerns and thus render the warnings inaccurate as to premium cigars, and two, consumers would not benefit from the warnings because they already use the product in a manner showing consumers the consumer understands the risk of excessive use. The FDA failed to combat the second contention, which is that your cigar consumer knows the risks already. Mm-hmm. And the most that can be said about this portion of the uh, proposed deeming rule is that it relies upon evidence to justify a warning regime that does not apply to premium cigars and their users. So, to conclude here, I have um, one of the example of the insufficient studies that the FDA had. So, there's a study that the um, Office of the Inspector General had that involved a self-administered survey of 230 teenagers, as well as various focus groups that included a mix of teenager cigar users and teenage non-users. So, while some teens who participated in the focus groups reported Occasionally, that they had smoked traditional large cigars, or even, and then one teenager reported purchasing an expensive cigar at one point. The study did not differentiate overall between the types of cigars teenagers used or which um, perceptions about the harmfulness of cigars that they were held by each group. And those who used large traditional cigars and those who used small cigars or cigarillos, or even non smoking teenagers. So essentially, they just took all these different kinds of cigars and bunched them together in this focus group and you know it's like a yes or no and then when they said yes you know that that could be a hundred of them smoked premium cigars a hundred of them smoked cigarillos one of them smoked a premium cigar and 200 smoked cigarillos you know what i mean so there was no specific there was no pinpoint data that said this is how many people smoke premium cigars and then when they started digging deeper into it they started realizing that not many people are actually smoking premium cigars like in this survey to me the only one that i can say probably was a premium cigar is the one that purchased an expensive cigar at one point just because i mean i don't know a cigarillo that goes what you would consider expensive but then it also goes down to what is expensive you know what i mean like 
if you're a kid doing minimum wage, like what what is expensive to you? So even that to me doesn't even convince me as a premium cigar. Mm. So essentially, in summary, the FDA failed to articulate a reasoned basis for requiring warning labels to premium cigars. So then the deeming rules warning requirement for premium cigars is hereby vacated. And this portion of the rule is remanded to the agency for further proceedings consistent with this memorandum. Um, so basically, I mean, the deeming rule isn't gone. You know, it's still there. Mm-hmm. So they could, I mean, it took what, like, I think six, seven years from them to come out of the option one or two. So right. with that being said, following that trend, it's, you know, in a couple few years, they could have something else that they kind of try and spit out. Mm-hmm. So I'd say take note of that and be aware. And, you know, if that comes, fight it. But it's uh, this kind of sets a basis to the FDA that you can't, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of different things that I think people look at online that has kind of skewed data and it, and it looks like on the surface it's speaking to one point, but if you really do your research and dig into it, they just make it appear that way and you actually read into it, it's not really that way. So this kind of set the foundation for, you can't do that if you're going to set it, you know, it's going to violate the FDA. Yeah. And then, I mean, so basically, they they said that the uh, the their presentation of their facts was very shallow and and not not well done mm-hmm. at all. The 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 their conclusions were not um, warranted by by the studies they they did because there there was too little uh, differentiation. Not enough delineation, you know, what what kids are actually smoking, how much money they're doing. I mean, paying for a cigar. Yeah. And is it a cheroot? Is it a you know, backwoods? Is it a padrone? You know, exclusivo. There's no there's no way to know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously. So now you don't have to have warning labels. A lot of companies still have them. I know Avo doesn't have any labels on them. There's a very few brands I can think of. And I mean, at the end of the day, there is a minute risk when you smoke a cigar. So I think some companies were like, we're already doing it. Now we don't have to change the printing for these labels. Keep them on the event that we have a lawsuit, maybe save them some money. So it kind of goes to the the balancing test of, you know, spend this much money on the labels and kind of save money in potential lawsuits, or maybe like it's unlikely we're gonna have any lawsuits, so let's just save the money on the printing. So if you still see labels, it's because companies are just kind of taking their own protection, but. Well, do you really see any big labels on any of the cigar boxes that we bring in? I've seen I, I, I a few. I, I, I know in the beginning, a couple of years ago, when this whole thing, you know, hit that, we started to see some Drew Estate, specifically the Acid Line, started to see them come through. We started seeing some General Cigars, mm-hmm. these big white warning labels that were just taking up almost the entire uh, front of the package. And it just looked completely ugly. I mean, it was just yeah, took, away from, on. took away from the beauty of some of these boxes. That Drew Estate had the event on earlier, the red one with the leaf on it. I'm pretty sure that had a tag on it you had to peel off when you got it because it had a warning label on it. The red hat with the leaf on it. Um, Nick from Drew Estate gave it to us. So th- there was a tag on that that I remember peeling it off and it had a warning label. Yeah, the hat had a warning label. I remember that. And I mean, even 
the uh, the Monte Cristo bag I have, um, there's a label I peel off of it. So company, even like on non-tobacco products, like yeah. on, you know, like clothing, they still do it. And I mean, it's it's up to the company now, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. You, you don't have to do it, but some companies feel that they're protected if they do do it. So. All right. So we're just about 45 minutes in. So before we switch over to the pipe and continue our discussion here, what's our conclusion on the Drew Estate Underground 10 Lonsdale and the pairing with the Founders Breakfast Stout? Well, I really like the pairing. I thought it was a marriage made in heaven, given the fact that this is a full body cigar, got that nice earthy, uh, sweet, peppery, uh, cocoa leather notes out of it. Uh, the Founders absolutely brought a lot more of that cocoa sweetness for me. Yeah. Um, I thought it was, they just, they just shine through. Neither one overpowered the other, and that's important when you have uh, a good pairing. It's bringing out a lot more of the, uh, the, the flavors that I look for in a cigar, um, and it did not, the cigar did not at all take away from the flavors of the beer. I thought it was uh, just a perfect pairing. Yeah, they both really work well together, and I concur with what Paul said. The only thing that I'll mention is based on how much you guys drink, usually you guys are far beyond me at this point. <laughs> so to me, this is a really nice sipping beer. Like I know it's it's a beer and it's not a coffee, but I'm taking sips out of this as I would with a coffee. So I feel like this is also, it, it speaks more to the pairing as well, because if you're at a lounge, typically when you drink beer, I'm assuming people drink them a little bit more quicker than I usually do, but this no, is really... Does. We knew yeah, we take coffee for you have a drink. Well, th this is a really nice <laughs> sipping beer. Mm -hmm. It has really good flavor, it, it has a lot of complexity, it really complements a cigar, and it's it's not something you want to rush through, you know? It, it really... But then you, you can slow it down and enjoy minutes. it. You only have 45 minutes. You have 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah, you want to get a chocolate camera again? Uh, what did we think of the fumage? Was that a, was that a good yeah, thing I, to include in I, there? I, I was, was, did I, you find those helpful at all? Absolutely, and, and one of the points I want to make too with these is that every single one of them had flavor with it. That's true. And not not one of them did not. It, there were different flavors. I mean, there was some of that nice uh, uh, earthy sweetness, a little uh, depth with the Connecticut broadleaf. Yeah. The, the fillers uh, a little bit lighter in flavor, um, but still. I think equally on its own, um, and even though we're not smoking it tonight, the uh, San Andreas uh, was, uh, had nice flavor with it too. So all three combined, I think, make a really, really good cigar. I think it was, uh, it was flavor with all three of them. I thought it was a great educational thing yeah. to have those there. Somebody who's really into cigars, and I'm very interested in what the actual components taste like. And uh, I think I have a better idea of how to pick out um, what tobacco is what, which is, you know, the goal for those things in the first place for us consumers out there. All right. So, you just me well, are you going to say anything different than Paul? I mean, <laughs> well, I was gonna not really. I mean, well, I was going to say that schedule is I like the Fumars because it's. Yeah. That's what they do. Like, they, they go in the curing bones and roll up a tobacco plant. Yeah like a leaf and they smoke it and that's kind of how they blend the profile and I will say like so Drew Estate's known for that stock cut broadleaf yeah this is the first time you can smoke it by itself and it mm. is so smoky it's insane like it, it was it was like a bonfire when I was smoking before the show so I think that was really interesting to kind of see on display by itself yeah well. very good 
All right. For the second half of the show, we're going to continue this discussion here uh, with the FDA and warning labels. But uh, now we're going to switch over to Cornelian Deal's Bijou. Um, recently, we've gotten a lot of uh, new Cornelian Deal uh, tobaccos in at Twins. That's one of the reasons you've seen Cornelian Deal a little bit more often. We're trying to highlight what's new in the store. And um, let me tell you, this is one of their. Um, uh, seller series, and it says on the tin that this includes Choice 2003 Vintage Eastern North Carolina Red Virginia. Uh, and it says that crowns this jewel. Accented by sweet bright leaf and rounded by small leaf caterini, Bijou is married with a hint of honey before being pressed and sliced into delicate flakes. This gem requires no adornment, just time. Estimated peak, 10 to 15 years. So the idea is with the Cellar Series, it's good enough to smoke and enjoy now, but this is excellent for aging because of what's in it, and um, it will get better and better and better for, they're saying, up to a decade and a half, which is you know way beyond my own ability to wait. Um, Anyway, we are having with this some of uh, this rum here, Zacapa 23. You want to talk a little bit about that, Pat? This is one of your favorites, right? Yeah, so the, I'm a huge, I mean, typically I do Zacapa XO, but Zacapa 23 is a little bit less body than me, so I think it would have went well with the pipe tobacco. I, that's what I'm thinking. I hope it does. So it's a rum. I'm just going to read the bottle. So. It is a, it's done through a traditional dynamic aging process in which rums of different ages and personalities are blended and subsequently stored in select barrels to continue the maturing process. This process is guided and repeated under the critical eye of the master blender until reaching the maturity and complexity of aromas and flavors that shape this unique premium rum. Mm. So, I do know that the rum inside of it is aged between six to twenty-three years. So okay. they kind of, I think they, I don't know if they mix them, but I think they do when they mature them. Yeah. So that hence this is a copper twenty-three. There's some twenty-three-year-age rum in there. Okay. So I've always liked it. It's nice, smooth. Has a nice sweetness to it. Everyone jokes on me for the baking spice, but everyone knows the Opus is my favorite cigar. To me, this is what I like to drink with it. This and the XO. Mm -hmm. It's a really nice complimentary pairing to me. And then I also, in my cooler doors at home, I use the cedar chips and I kind of soak some rum in those to get that aroma in my coolers. So mm -hmm. I'm a huge Zacapa fan. Okay. Well, so far, I'm enjoying the pairing very much. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm the, uh, so the rum is really bringing out the sweetness that is incumbent in those Red Virginias. And, um, you know, this is, a, you know, normally what I expect is, you know, the Virginia's beating this blend with uh, stewed fruits and bread and hay notes and those, those stewed fruit and sweet stone fruit kind of notes just go to a whole new level with the rum. And uh, the Caterini adds a little bit of spice that plays well with the, the sugary notes in the Virginia's. That, that honey that's used in this too, to me, it's barely noticeable. It just kind of emphasizes the sweetness in the Virginias again. And um, 
adds a little bit of a balance to it. Like, what do you guys think? There's a little bit of an herbal note too that I, I get mm -hmm. from this without the pairing. On its own, I think if you're right, the stewed fruits, the, the, the Virginias shine through, but there's a little bit of a, a vegetative sweet sour note that I get too. Is that the yeah, that, that would be a Caterina, yeah. yeah. Have, we, have we had, I mean, I'm not, it doesn't ring a bell, but have we had other blends with Caterina in it? Yes, we have. I can't remember off the top of my head, but right. it's not an uncommon leaf. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great tobacco, and uh, I think it's a really good pair. Mm. Bring out a lot more of those Virginia notes. What do you think, Pat, when you're done drinking? Yeah, it definitely intensifies the sweetness. I'm getting kind of a a nice like woody note to it as well. Mm -hmm. And I didn't mention it, but the barrels of the age, the copper ends like old whiskey barrels, the age American whiskey in. Mm. So I think that could be kind of why I get that kind of like okay. peppery, oaky flavor. Yeah. And I think it, it really is a nice complimentary pairing. Mm. Yeah, good job with both these pairings. Two for two there. Three for three. three. You have the, the signature one too. The patina? Yeah, the patina fashion. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, getting back to your uh, briefs, you were saying that uh, um, they, you know, so right now, it is not required for premium cigars to display warning labels on their boxes. Nope, it's optional now. And it's also not necessary to have an eight and a half by 11 sign at the register saying no. cigars are known to the state of California to cause problems to your health. Can you imagine that? If they had to have that? And again, they've got the warning labels on the beer, but you don't see an eight and a half by 11 up at the register saying, warning, don't up drive your car if you're drinking this. Right. Exactly. You know, this 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 is the only industry where I see that happening, and I don't I don't understand the inconsistency of of the government in singling out this and like not having anything like that with pot, <laughs> which now you can get in in stores and CBD and all this stuff. There's all sorts of crap, and yet I know that that's regulated and everything. But what makes that so worth promoting and and getting out there, and and what make what's so much more insidious about this? So one of the things that you learn at Tobacco's University is 1929, when the cigar rolling machine was invented, and then the Great Depression happened, and then that cigar rolling machine was then used to produce cigarettes. So you went from seven out of ten males—they don't include the women statistic—smoking mm -hmm. cigars to cigarettes. So I think that's kind of where this awkward mix kind of came in, because the cigar rolling machine <coughs> then kind of gave birth to the cigarette movement mm -hmm. that was kind of predominant up until. I'd say like, well, I think the 90s, 80s is kind of when cigars kind of picked up again, like yeah. post-Cuban embargo maybe, yeah. but like yeah. that really rollers with the Nicaragua Dominican. I think that's kind of what jump-started the, um, the premium cigar movement that we have today. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that might be the origins of how people kind of connect cigarettes to cigars, and that might be 
I think since obviously we can agree cigarettes should have those labels on them. Yeah. Maybe that's why a lot of people that are kind of outside spectators of the industry kind of just assume that that should be a thing because it's tobacco, it's the same thing, even though it's not, but they think it's the same thing. So they just think, you know, do that. Then a lot of the politicians and legislation kind of assume that maybe, or maybe it's appealing to those people and it's, you know, it's for the kids, all that. So. Isn't it our moral responsibility to smoke cigars to help the children? Correct. <laughs> that, what's it, that, that, that 50 cents? Yeah, the, the 50 S cents? chip. The S chip. The S yeah. chip. Yes. You know, I, you know, the poor families out there who don't, you know, like Dave, who don't have health insurance, you know, who, you know, it's, it's important for me to smoke this stuff because it, it pays for the uh, insurance for uh, those poor people who don't have it. Right? Yeah. There's nothing else to really say about that, I guess. Okay. Um, so, Paul, what's uh, what's coming up this month at Twins? What is coming up this month at Twins? What do we have? We got we actually have Kristoff coming this week. Mm-hmm. On the fifth. On the uh, actually uh, fourth is it fourth here at a hooksit. Yep. Hooks it from, from 3 to 7. Mm-hmm. And, and London Dairy from 3 to 7. We're going to have Heather. Heather! Heather will be joining us uh, here in Hooks It on Thursday and here in London Dairy on Friday for a Kristoff event. Yes. So it'll be nice to see her in her new role or. It's been what, about six months now? Yeah, six months or so. Yeah, it'll be nice to see her finally do an event. And then uh, what else we got going on? Uh, we're going to have a major Black Friday deal going on. Um, uh, Black Friday, uh, there's going to be some major deals at Twins locations. Um, all box sales in the walk-in uh, are going to be an additional 10% off yes. the listed prices. For a total and savings of 20%. For a total savings of 20%. If, if you're getting a 20-count box of twins, mm-hmm. doesn't matter who makes it, we take 10% off. That's something that we do to, you know, it's appreciation for people who are box buyers. And uh, on Black Friday, we're doubling that. So uh, you can take another 10% off the uh, label price the, that's on the shelf. And that goes for every single box in the humidor. There's also going to be a selection of boxes that will be up to 50% off. Yes. And uh, so you are not going to want to miss that. I think uh, there's everything in the store is going to be on sale, whether it's cigars or pipe related. Um, but uh, it's it, there's going to be some massive, massive deals. So you're going to want to make sure you're here on Friday uh, after Thanksgiving. And folks, don't forget, it's only a little over three weeks away. Mm-hmm. You can believe that. Which means Christmas is what, seven weeks away? <laughs> Pretty close, yeah. Seven weeks, you're right. Oh, yeah. I think it's I... going. This whole year's going by real quick. Oh my gosh. Has anyone heard whether this winter is supposed to be warmer or colder than usual? It all depends on who you listen to. <laughs> I mean, 
from so I, I listened to a couple of independent weather. Expert. Bill Weatherman. No, well, no. thank you for well, thank you for bringing him to my attention because yes. he's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's a few independent, uh, non-mainstream weather channels that I listen to, and uh, the jet stream this year has been really weird. Yes, it's bringing up a lot of uh, moisture from the south. A lot of our storms have come from the south. We've had a lot of nor'easter type storms pretty much all year long mm -hmm. and uh so what i'm getting from their their future uh forecasts so the future casts is that we are in for a very wet wintry but a little warmer than normal mm -hmm. so we could be getting storms and could be that thick pasties type snow that uh we all hate shoveling. We all hate shoveling, so we'll have to see if that, that, that remains true. Well, fortunately, we have Pat. So you and I, Paul, will, will be inside, you know, being that we're the senior citizens in the shop while Pat's out there shoveling. We get a raise. If you get a raise. <laughs> all right. Um, good luck with that. Pat, if you could describe yourself in three words, what what would it be? Big, burly, sexy. <laughs> I can see maybe sexy or smexy, as they say, but big and burly? Yeah. Big and burly, really? Did you see my Halloween costume? Well, I did see your Halloween costume. Uh, Bold and outrageous come to mind, but but not big and burly. You do have nice thighs, apparently. How you describe yourself as big and burly? Yeah. Really? Compared to what? You. Well, dude, I mean, I'm bigger than you are, and I'm not big and burly. <laughs> Your pipe's big and burly and sexy. Yeah, that's about it. Are you serious? Are you serious? That's your that's your answer? Yeah. Alright, those are very shallow, actually, John Words. You can describe yourself as big, burly, sexy. That's what you want on here. Right. Shallow, burly, sexy. Shallow, burly, sexy. Boom. There you go. Mm -hmm. You know, this is why you're not getting raised. Well, <laughs> if you were gonna describe yourself in three words, what would they be? Honest, dependable, and trustworthy. Uh, those are very, very true. Yes. I am dependable to a fault. I am trustworthy. And, well, I try to be as honest as I can be. <laughs> maybe maybe I am a little too honest, but, you know. When is it, when is it hard for you to be honest? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not in your face, and I'm not going to tell certain people, you know, what you really what think. What I really think of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'll say I'm trying to be honest. Uh, but, you know, dependable and trustworthy, I think that's the, the, those are my two strongest qualities right there. I don't know. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I, I would agree with <laughs> I think you're pretty honest. Some guys come up to you with a cigar that's not great, and you say, Isn't this thing great? You're like, Yeah, that's yeah, good. So, 
or on signal it's not yeah you have done that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm not going to tell a customer if I don't like a cigar if I truly don't like a cigar I will I will, try to, I will be very professional in my I think the reasoning thing, why you may want to look elsewhere the thing about you that I like in the humidor is <laughs> like it goes to the honesty like when you go into a retail, I think people have an assumption that there's going to be some upsell thing that goes on. Right. But more often than not, I do see somebody with an expensive cigar that really, it's, it's opinionated, but I don't think it's worth it. And Paul is very honest when he shows them something that's, in, you know, he doesn't factor the price in, but it happens to be half the price. And he generally feels like it's going to be more enjoyable than what they have. And Every time I'm in, like someone always comes in and goes straight to Paul because he, he's, he's got the pick. So he's always honest with them and it usually always comes back positive. So yeah, I would agree with that. Now, you know, to me, that's that's great salesmanship. You know, I think, you know, there's there's obviously the used car salesman kind of uh, picture that people have, you know, trying to just boost the numbers, you know, or push a particular thing, whether it's good or bad. But I think in the, the, you know, our, I think that our uh, uh, way of approaching selling cigars is that you're selling an experience. Correct. And you are trying to create the best experience for that person given their tastes, their need, their time. And if you can make that experience better at and save them money, they're going to come back. You know, you're, you're going to make that a repeat customer. Whereas if they get that really expensive cigar and it doesn't turn out to be exactly what they wanted or needed for what they were looking for, they may not come back. So, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, you, you kind of got to think of the long term that uh, um, really the, the way to boost your sales is to be as honest as you can about what they're looking for and being able to, you know, promote a particular cigar or a particular size or a particular blend that maybe not is something you wouldn't smoke, but you know, that's what they're looking for. You know, I, I think that makes the difference between somebody who's just trying to push something, yeah. whatever's new in the door versus really helping somebody have that great experience that they want. I think one of the things too that we do that's unique is we have our staff pick signs in the humidor. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you don't walk in there and see those things on Davros, Atabase, you know, they're usually on a cigar that is reasonable and it's generally what we're smoking that week. You right. know, like we're not using it for an upsell, we're not trying to guide people to that section. It's it's generally what we like and it's typically always an affordable cigar because I don't think we're flinging back Atabase every day, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's well, it, it, in, in the humidor, if a customer gives you the 30,000-foot view of what they're looking for, they say, I just want a 45-minute smoke, I want it to be medium, medium-full, and that's all they give you, I'm going to dig a little deeper. I'm going to say, okay, what kind of flavors are you looking for? Mm -hmm. I, mean, I can take you numerous different places in this humidor to get you your 45-minute smoke that you're looking for. When the, so I had a customer come in today. He's been in before, but I've never dealt with him personally. He came in today, he says, I want a 45 minute smoke. I want a ring gauge of about 50 to 54. And, and I want it about medium, medium full. And I kept digging, I said, okay, what kind of flavors are you looking for? 
Um, and when he told me, I said, okay, here's a cigar, try this. I went upstairs and about an hour later he came down and says, that was a great cigar. And he shook my hand, he says, I trust you now. Mm -hmm. And then walked out. Yeah. What cigar was it? It was the Factory 57 Burgos. All right. When he said, I trust you now, and he walked out, that told me that I did my job. Yep. I could have given him anything. I could have given him any type of 45 minute smoke in a medium full category. And maybe I would have been successful, maybe I wouldn't have. Mm -hmm. But you kind of keep digging. You're going to say, okay, yeah. what are you looking for? Are you looking for a little bit of cedar? Are you looking for a little bit of spice? Are you looking for some leather? Are you looking for a combination of all of them? You know, tell, tell me a little bit more. That's that's the sales part. Yeah. It's to, it's to open up and really dig deeper than what they're just telling you. I had a customer in on Sunday who wanted a, a, a Connecticut wrap cigar that would go with bourbon. And, you know, so I, 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 like you said, Paul, dug a little bit deeper. What, well, what bourbon are you having? Mm -hmm. Because depending on, you know, is it going to be lighter? Is it going to be darker? Is it going to be, you know, what's the APV on it? Uh, you know, that's going to determine what Connecticut I would go to. And um, we ended up, you know, he was going for a, a stronger bourbon. So we went for the uh, Brotherly Kindness from an intemperance that's got more body to it than yes. a lot of Connecticut's out there. Yeah. And that can hold up against a nice, darker uh, bourbon. But if it was going to be something really on the lighter side of things, you know, that might be a little much, sure. you know? So I think it, you're right. It's important to ask those questions and get to know the customer and what they're really looking for. And taking the time to do that, um, you know, is really, really good. I think the reason why, and again, we're all we're all successful in, in, in how we approach our customers, and, and just taking from my perspective, the reason why I think customers kind of trust me is because not only do I go that dig deeper, but you get to know the customer, you get to know really what their palate, what what, what they're looking for, and, and I I know what I like, and I know some of the customers tend to tend to match up with my palate uh, that I'm working with, so most of the time I can I can show them what my favorite cigars are. And I'd say nine times out of ten, they're all going to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, they, and, they, and they'll remember that too. You could, like you say, Dan. You know, you could be a used car salesman selling the high-end cigars once. It may not match up to the palate, and they're going to remember that. They'll say, "Oh, he, he, he sold me this thirty this thirty-dollar cigar, and it didn't didn't get the, the experience I was looking for. I don't know if I want to trust that guy again." Mm -hmm. But you trust if if you can get them to trust you. Each and every time, you're gonna win, no problem. Yep. Yeah. I I love the fact that uh, all of us, ex you know, over and over again, experience customers coming back saying, "Thank you, great job." Yeah. I get that a lot. I know you get that a lot. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, they'll they'll come that down, they'll come down from the bar after their yeah. day is over and, and say, "Thank you, that was a great cigar." Mm -hmm. So. And if it's somebody who's new, yeah. new to the store, and, and they're going upstairs to the bar, uh, if I can get away, I, I like to go upstairs after 15 or 20 minutes and ask them, how's it going? Exactly. And um, it, it's the best feeling when they look at you and say, well, you just nailed it. And uh, I think that's a testament to the, the training we get and the atmosphere we're trying to create. And um, I'm very happy with that. And that's the perk of having a lounge too, you know, mm -hmm. more so than just being able to 
have that experience of complimenting a cigar with a parent, but it's it kind of puts the tobacconist on the stage a little bit because we have to, you know, walk the walk and talk the talk, or vice versa, talk the talk, walk the walk, whatever yeah. it is. And because we, we sell something and, and you have to, more often than not, you're going to see the person after they smoke it and you're going to be on the spot like, was it a good pick or a bad pick? You know what I mean? So it kind of puts you in a situation that you're getting that feedback no matter what. Like it's one thing if someone buys a cigar and goes home and smokes it, then you know, you may never know how it was. But more often than not, we hear the feedback and you, you know, I'd say most of the time, if not all the time, it's typically good feedback. You know, it's really interesting too, uh, speaking about pairings that we're, we're seem to be uh, talking about now. These two ladies came in, uh, I think one night it was, maybe Thursday night, <coughs> uh, and they came in and I could, I could tell the way they're walking around, they had no idea, this is the first time in here, I could, I could tell. And I said, How can, can I help you? And he says, we want to, we want to, we're coming here for a pairing. Yeah. And I asked him, I said, oh, really, you know, what do you, you know, what do you want to smoke a drink? I don't know. We have no idea what we're doing. And so I, I got, I, you know, asked them the questions, find out what they're looking for, um, brought them to the cigars. And before I chose the cigar, I said, what are you going to be drinking? And they said, I don't know. What do you recommend? <laughs> and I said, well, if you're looking for a specific cigar or specific flavors, I'd recommend this one and this one for each one of these ladies and I said based on these two cigars I would go up to the bar and ask for these pairings and they said oh great thank you and they went upstairs and then they came down a little later and they said that was a, that was perfect awesome. and it was their first time in here but the, the idea of them coming in all they wanted to do was just have a pairing mm. they, they read about it they heard about it they never did it and that's the kind of customers that we're going to probably start seeing a little bit more of now that we're getting out of the wintertime. People are going to want to come in, get these new customers that we talk about that, um, that haven't had that experience yet. And, you know, if we can provide that type of service and that type of experience, it's just, they're going to keep coming back. All right. You ready for the, uh, would you rather question tonight? Yeah. Uh, I think this is good being that uh, Pat uh, came up with both pairings for tonight. Good job, both Pat. really good. Good job, Pat. Really good job, Pat. Uh, the would you rather question is, would you rather have the cigar pairing or the pipe pairing? Ooh. Now, keep in mind, and I this is you know, where I'm at too, what makes this difficult for me is both of these are very good. Really? Enjoy, I enjoy the cigar very much. Enjoy the pipe tobacco very much. Um, both pairings were, I think, really, really good. Yeah. So to me, this is a, maybe a tougher question. But you know, obviously, picking one over the other doesn't mean the other one sucked. No. Because I, I think we all agree that both were were very good. Yes. Good. They're yeah. Both were very. They're both good. were very good. Yeah. All right. So that that's would you rather question? Would you rather have a cigar pairing or the pipe pairing again? going first. I need time to think, so you guys go first. <laughs> okay. Well, first off, I thought the pipe tobacco and the Zacapa 23 was an excellent pairing. Mm. 
Um, they brought out those sweet Virginia flavors um, from the tobacco, which I love very, very much. Mm -hmm. um, so kudos to you, Pat. Great, great pair. But I am first and foremost a beer fan mm -hmm. over a rum fan. Again, nothing wrong with the rum. I thought it was great, but I would rather have the cigar and founders pair again, just because of that wonderful coffee. Mm. That's Later funny. I, I would I would do the uh, I would put the uh, cigar pairing first as well, and because I thought the beer did so much to take what was already a great cigar and make it even more enjoyable. Yep. It, the richness and sweetness it brought out of the cigar was amazing. And uh, there's a similar thing going on here with the rum and the uh, bijou. Um, but I think just by a hair, I think the beer uh, did a little bit of a better job with the cigar. Or at least it was more noticeable to me. What about you, Pat? Yeah, I'm kind of tied, but I, I would probably go with the cigar because it, like, I mean, the the beer, I, I can't think of one flaw of the beer. It, no. it completely enhanced the cigar, and even the cigar enhanced it. it, it they, they're both just married together really well. Mm -hmm. The one thing about the pipe tobacco that I will say is I think that it's, it's kind of, it's kind of hard matching pipe tobacco or something because I think a lot of spirits out there kind of overpower it. So I do think it, it's tough that the beer pairing was so well because I think there's a coffee definitely, which I, I'm pretty biased. I think a lot of rums go well with pipe tobacco just the aromatics. But I'll have to say that the beer and the cigar definitely were a few steps ahead for me for the pairing tonight. So. And you know much of a beer pairing, right? Oh, I love beer. That's why when I was going to school in Maine, like what? Maine Brewing, yeah, I used to always drink Maine Brewing. Interesting. Interesting. How long have you been 21? Like eight months. <laughs> 23. Oh, 23? I'm going to be 24. And You're so big and burly. Big, burly, and sexy. You got to get sexy down. <laughs> yeah. BBS. Big, bull, yeah. I'll be um, big, burly, and charming if you're going to abbreviate it like that. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, next week on Not Just Blowing Smoke, we have a very unique episode for you. We're going to have a special guest on the show, Kelly Shemeth, who was the New England rep for Ashton Cigars a couple of years ago. And... Um, we're going to talk about what life is like after being a cigar rep. She left Ashton and is now a salesperson for FedEx. Uh, she's stayed in love with cigars and is, is uh, still very kind of close to the industry. Um, and we're going to be smoking the Foundation Tabernacle Connecticut Havana 142 David Perfecto. And uh, Cornell and Deal's Briar Fox. It's the afterlife episode, people. You are not going to want to miss it. So make sure you're here at 8 o'clock or shortly thereafter if it takes me four or five minutes to get things going. It's going to be worth it. And that 
it's not just blowing smoke. Thanks for being with us tonight. You've been listening to Not Just Blowing Smoke, the podcast that brings the wealth of knowledge, expertise, and fun of Twins Smoke Shop, New England's premier smoke shop, right to you, wherever you are, whenever you want it. You can find us at our website, notjustblowingsmoke.com, and keep in touch with us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at Not Just Blowing Smoke. Thanks for listening, everybody. And that is Not Just Blowing Smoke. Thank you.